Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Yeah, we're just going to share from the Word for a little time. As you know, our services are uh, somewhat shorter at the moment. We recognise, obviously, uh, that most of you are wearing a mask. It's quite muggy, but we trust that you're okay. And as I say, there is some water uh, if you if you need it. And we're believing that God will bless His Word again today as we minister. Just at the end of last week, I, w- I was getting uh, some uh, a session ready for uh, uh, something that t- Julie Christian and myself are running this week. It's it's part of what we call our Moving Forward Network. It's just a small group of guys, that leaders that we encourage to come together. And once a year, we do a, a 24-hour intensive, and uh, that is this um, Wednesday and Thursday morning. And I was just reminded... Um, as I, I'll share a little bit with them, that uh, there is something about the ministry of the Word. There's something about worshipping God, and there's something about ministering the Word. And if you're a believer you, you, uh, that maybe have been a Christian for numbers of years, you would get used to this, somebody coming up, uh, opening the Bible and speaking. It's like anything, we can, we can get used to it. And uh, that old cliche, which is not in the Bible, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. We can just get used to things, but... God has decreed that when the word of God goes forward, something happens, something engages with our heart uh, that we can't really sort of define easily in words. And I just pray again today that as the word goes forward here, across the campuses, our online service as well, the power of technology is I'm preaching in two places at once at the moment because the online guys are getting this as well. Uh, But the word of God will just touch us and minister to us. And here's our July series all joy and hopefully over the next uh, four weeks uh, this will make uh, a little bit of sense because on the four Sundays of July we've got four different preachers from this platform each taking one of the chapters from Philippians four chapters I encourage you to read the book which will probably take about 15 minutes it's just a great little letter there in the middle of the uh, New Testament and it'll just sort of fill the background to what we're trying to to say. And here's our keynote verse from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, which many of you will know. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, when we come together to plan and plot ministry, we try and do it very prayerfully, very carefully. And we do it collaboratively. We try and speak together. We try and chat. We try and sense what's on uh, people's hearts. We, we lean into a sense of what Christians thinking in terms of ministry. And you'll know that in June, we talked about the body beautiful. If you've missed any of that ministry, you can get it either via the YouTube channel or through the uh, Arena Ilkeston podcast. But it was, it was done with an intention. It was, it was recognizing that there's, there's some shifts beginning to take in our national life that impact our worship, our sense of togetherness. And it was seeking again to remind us that what we belong to is incredible. Everybody's got a part to play. And uh, and, uh, we want the body of Christ to really reflect and radiate Jesus. And here, we were talking together and we recognized that over the last 16 or 17 months, um, there's probably been a, a deficit, a depletion of joy it's not been easy to stay joyful and uh, we we recognize that it's been a long long season and uh, so over this 
Four weeks, we want to try and address this truth, how it works out in our lives. We don't want to be trite, we don't want to be flippant, we don't want to be insensitive, but we do want to encourage us back to uh, the, the, the verse that will be the bedrock for where we're building upon, to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. That was Paul saying it, not me. Rejoice. Rejoice. And so if you've come this morning and you your joy quotient's pretty low and, and you know it, then we really want to encourage you. We want to build the joy of the Lord again. And it may seem and it may appear that there's some very legitimate reasons why you feel less than joyful. And then we get confronted with Philippians. We get confronted with chapter 4 and verse 4. And it's a contradiction, it's a paradox. It seems to make no sense to our head, but God's wanting to engage our heart. Because here he's saying, and we're going to try and look at it this morning, that, that even when things seem to be so clearly against us, it doesn't have to take away joy. Incredibly, as we lean into Jesus, it can actually add to it. And it's amazing. We're not just talking about a cheesy grin, although it is nice to be greeted with a smile uh, when people say hello, but we're not talking about that. We're not talking about false bonhomie. We're not talking about fake optimism that doesn't land. We're talking about uh, an overspill of the heart, the fruit of what we carry in the life of Jesus with joy being one of the fruit of the Spirit. And it comes out of a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never started on that journey of knowing that you're forgiven and set free. And uh, sitting today in the resurrection truth that Tim so powerfully led us into, then there'll be an opportunity to respond at the end. We believe that everything flows from a relationship with God in Jesus, including joy. It may be that you chase that by the temporal things of life and you'd wake up with a sore head on a Sunday morning thinking it didn't work and it's cost me 80 quid or whatever it was there's something more which we'll come back to a little later so the writer is expressing just that he's nearing the end of his life having traveled to Rome his freedom compromised because he was a preacher of the good news of Jesus and lots of people didn't like it in the first century he writes this letter to his friends in the city of Philippi it's what we call a prison epistle a prison letter and uh, Paul was busy even in those last few years of his life when his freedom was limited to some degree so Philippians Ephesians Colossians and Philemon are the four prison epistles and this letter again and again and again speaks of the word joy or rejoicing it's a joy-filled letter from a trying context I mean he's in prison he's chained up he's bound he's limited he's restricted and he's talking about joy exactly that's what we're on about that sometimes when all the outward circumstances seem to push against us, we can actually know the joy of God. 
So as we move into Philippians, here's just a very little back, uh, brief backdrop to the, to, the, uh, to the book. So the author, the author was the great apostle Paul, who describes himself here as being a prisoner. Uh, of course, the Holy Spirit took hold of his words and made it part of the Bible, so it's the breathed word of God. And then the church that he wrote to, well, the church he wrote to was uh, Philippi. And uh, it was a Roman col colony. All those of you that are panging to go to Greece, um, yeah, there's one or two hands going up. All right, I, 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 honestly, when I've read the paper, I don't know whether it's a green, it's an orange, it's a red, what, what sort of... But some of you will have it all sorted out and ready to go. Well, Philippi was in northeast Greece in ancient times. He was named after Philip of Macedon, who was the father of the great Alexander the Great. It was a Roman colony uh, that reflected uh, Roman rule and Roman uh, life. A real life community. And then it was a place that Paul visited. And uh, uh, I was just fascinated again as I was just thinking about this how God so incredibly moved to take the gospel to these people and God is still working on people today God is still speaking God is still touching people to take the good news of Jesus to people's lives I'm, I'm just blown away by people that are still rising up that want to be uh, Bible translators it's a tremendous work there are still hundreds of languages in the world where they don't have the Bible in, in their particular tongue and people rising up as God leads them. I was fascinated to read uh, about uh, the work of translators in Albania. Some of you have been to Albania, you know that one of our missionary partners, Rachel Wilson, uh, lives there. It was formerly a communist, but not only a communist, but an atheistic state under the lead of Emra Ocha. And then things began to change. And there's been a group of guys over 20 years that have just recently completed the first ever translation into Albanian of the Old and New Testament. It's just it, God speaking to people. And here we see God bringing about a supernatural lead to Paul. He gets a vision in the night to say, come over and help us he changed all his plans all his ministry plans no doubt his PA was pulling her or his hair out we're not going to where we're planning to go we're going to Philippi why because God's told us it's supernatural lead and then there's a supernatural uh, uh, meeting with Lydia uh, a businesswoman a, a, a draper dealing in materials and dye and uh, he meets with this group. It gives them a, a foothold into the city. They begin to draw a few people together for prayer and for worship. Then there's a supernatural deliverance because there's a girl that's bound by demonic spirits that's being exploited by unscrupulous men. Sadly, still a problem in the earth today. But they were making profit out of her ability to tell fortunes when after a period of time, Paul had had enough and said, in the name of Jesus, be free. You'd think everybody would be glad. But the guys had lost their profit overnight. You know the story. Uh, the apostolic team ended up in prison. And not only a supernatural lead, a supernatural meeting, a supernatural deliverance, but then a supernatural earthquake. Because as they sang songs and hymns at midnight, God came. 
and did an amazing work. And of course, in ancient days, the jailer literally protected the prisoners with his life. And if they escaped, he replaced them. But in this instance, Paul says, don't worry, we've not gone. And the jailer cried out the greatest question that anybody could ever utter. What must I do? to be saved and him and his whole household were saved an amazing city uh, of, of, of God ministering and then not only the author not only uh, 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 who was written to uh, a real community not only the visit but also this was the only church that supported Paul and I don't have time to open it up but in chapter four uh, in those days if you were a prisoner you Somebody had to sort your meals out. You didn't get your meals provided by the, the Roman government. So somebody had to go and help you. And in the New Testament, the only time that it's flagged up that a church helped uh, Paul was the Philippian church. Chapter 4, verse 18. Your sacrifice is pleasing to God. It's like a fragrant offering. Verse 19, which we love to claim as a promise. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will do when you're generous. He will do when you think about other people. You can't just pluck that verse out, being tight, being mean, being completely unresponsive to God and then saying he's going to supply all my needs. He's not. He's going to respond to generosity. He's going to respond to the fragrant offering of looking out for others. Then the promise flows. And all over this room, people have proved it. And then, of course, he comes to exhort the people. He brings an exhortation. And what Paul had experienced, he's now seeking to pass on to others. Joy is uh, cheerfulness. It's delight. Someone defined it as an overflow of Christian gladness. And so, briefly, in the second part of the message, I want us to particularly think this morning very briefly, on joy in adverse circumstances, if that could go up. And there we go, three verses, particularly verse 21. Joy in adverse circumstances. It seems particularly apt for the season that we've all been seeking to navigate. Chapter 1, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he says in verse 18, and because of this I rejoice and in verse 25, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Joy in adverse circumstances. We've been impacted adversely, collectively, nationally, globally. And of course, many difficult circumstances that people have had to walk through personally. That has had all the associated emotions, stresses and strains and it's been right before us in the community of believers called arena and yet despite the adversity when christ stays in control when we can truly can confess that for me to live is christ and to die is gain we really can know it as all joy we can really joy even in the adverse circumstances. So I'm going to race through five things that Paul leaned into that are taken from chapter 1, 
that would just hopefully encourage your heart to know afresh today a new infusion, spiritual injection of holy joy. Chapter 1, verse 7, let's remind ourselves, he says, I'm in chains. This guy was limited, restricted, freedom impaired, death not too far ahead of him, but he's full of joy. So firstly, he was joyful in adverse circumstances because he leaned into fellowship. He leaned into fellowship. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. I'm reading from the New International Version. I like that word partnership. I, I really do. But in the original language, it's the word koinonia, which can be translated fellowship, which I like also. I, he recognized that he was in a partnership. Uh, he was together with others. Geographically and physically, he was uh, separated. But spiritually, he was bonded together with these people. It was like a holy superglue. There was nothing going to separate the fellowship, the partnership that these people had. And I just want to encourage us in continuing to lean into fellowship. You will know that during this period of time, there have literally been weeks when we've been forbidden to meet, even as this, by government edicts. We couldn't have a, a public worship service. We worked tremendously hard, and I, I'm just part of a little cog in the, a, a tremendous team to facilitate online and all the opportunities to regularly come together. But there's something about the physicality of coming together. We understand that we're going to work with both in the future. And if you want to have a, a message on hybrid church, please talk to Julie. She's brilliant on it. <coughs> Leaned into fellowship. But what we can't do is completely dismiss fellowship. We've got to find it somewhere. We've got to lean into it. We've got to connect. As clunky as Zoom is on occasions, it inhibits sometimes that spontaneity, that ability to read the room. As Paul was saying the, 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 the other day on the prayer Zoom, sometimes something bounces off the lead of prayer, which we can't do. We get all of that. But it's certainly been better than nothing. And here, the apostle never forgot the power of fellowship. John Wesley, the great apostolic leader, founder of the Methodist movement 300 years ago, says the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. We need partnership. We need fellowship. We need togetherness. We need this. We need people in our world. We need, as we go into a new day, for God to proliferate groups. We never want to be estranged from the life of the believers of God. He leaned into fellowship. It helps with our joy. Secondly, he leaned into confidence. In chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. There was a phrase going around some years ago. It used to be found on people's walls and sometimes on bumper stickers. It said this, Be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. Be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. He that's began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. When you became a Christian, something radical happened. The Lord Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, went right to the root of your heart. 
and began to change it. He forgave you. He gave you new life. You were born again of his spirit. And it was supernatural also. It's not something we can do by trying hard, by coming to a building, by religious works. It's inward. God did it. He made all things new. But here's the truth we sometimes forget. It's a continual work. It's going on and on and on. It carries on it continually in what God is doing. So we get saved and we're being saved. We receive salvation, but then also we engage in a long word called sanctification. It simply means that God is interested in making us more like Jesus. And uh, so when we pray, it's a two-way thing. And guess what? God's got something to say to us at times, as well as us saying something to him. Be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. He's continuing his work in our lives. And as you will allow God to continually work in you, your joy will be full. It may be that you feel that you've been derailed by COVID. It may be that you feel that your spiritual journey's gone backwards. But God still rules and reigns. He knows everything about us. And he says again, let's go again. Let's lean into the confidence that what God has began in you, he will carry it on to completion till the day of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a great scripture if you're under 25 here this morning because you've got a lot of years in front of you, God willing. But when you get a bit older like me, you can still claim this promise that still yet... God wants to carry on what he's already been doing to completion. There's more gift to arise in you. There's more influence to come from you. There's more blessing to be poured into you. And we need to lean into the confidence that he's still on our case. Number three, he leaned into purpose. This verse is from the New American Standard Bible, it says, I want you to know my circumstances, being in prison, have turned out for greater progress for the gospel. I, I can only imagine Paul is here, not only in joy, but honestly, he's having a, he's having a chuckle, he's having a laugh. He's, he's just full of himself. Because the more they tried to restrict him, and the more they tried to limit him talking about the gospel the more people were getting saved. It was just incredible. So the Roman soldier stood there, and you know the description in Ephesians 6. Help, mate, what are you doing here? Weren't quite like that, but you know what I'm thinking. What are you? Well, I, I'm a Christian. What, and you're in prison? Yeah, well, they, they sort of said, you know, I, I'm Jewish by birth, and they, they wanted to kill me in Jerusalem, but I said, no, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to go to Rome and stand before Caesar. Uh, and when I arrived, they sort of put chains on me. So what are you doing wrong? Well, I don't really think I've done anything wrong. I'm just telling people about Jesus. And so the conversation begins to open up. I'm not exaggerating because he said the elite gods, the praetorium, they were getting saved. He was influencing the Roman household. And other people were... Uh, leaning into Paul's courage and was speaking clearly and without fear. The gospel was advancing. The gospel was progressing. Paul leaned into purpose. How many of you know when you've read about 
uh, nations or situations where people have tried to restrict the gospel. It never works. It never works. When all the missionaries were told to leave China in 1949, doom said, oh, that's the end of it. There'll be no Christians in China anymore. And for years, for years, nearly 30 years, missionaries were banned from going into China. But when it eventually opened up, hey-ho, we found tens of thousands of millions of Christians that were serving God sometimes with just one page of the Bible that they read and read and read. And so it goes again and again and again. My reference earlier in the message about Albania, literally, God was supposedly banned. It didn't work. Because God is always working out his purpose. This this morning, if it seems hard for you in your work context, hard for you where you live, hard for you sometimes, in being part of the Christian church, sometimes you ask some questions. I want you to realize again today as you're leaning to joy that God is at work. He is doing his purpose in the earth and nothing can stop it. Fourthly, he leaned into Christ-centeredness. For me, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. <clears throat> Briefly, we've got a holy dilemma. Paul says in these verses, if I stay on earth, I'm fruitful in labor. But if I go to be with the Lord, it's far better. And I'm in, a, in the old version, he says, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I don't know what to do. He was in a complete win-win. The temporal should never dilute the reality of the eternal. Temporally, we're going to be here for a little time. Eternally, we're going to be with God forever. The problem in the Western church, particularly at times, friends, is we don't believe heaven's far better. So we're desperate to stop on earth. We're desperate for all the things that everybody else wants because we think, oh, that will make us feel better. But... In this earth, we're committed to fruitful labor. But whenever God calls us, it's far better. It really, really is. It's far better to be with Christ. It's a win-win. In Romans, Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. And somebody says, death for the Christian is not fatal. It really isn't. It really isn't. And it may be that God in his purpose has still got 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years in front of you. That is fantastic. But don't ever let your life simply de be determined by the now. Bring the fruitful labor that he wants to use you in. But always in the light of being with him, which is far better. And finally, he leaned into encouragement. Chapter 1, verse 27, stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You see, joy was contagious, and he inevitably passed it on to spur other people to stand together in unity for the gospel. I close with a reference to a writer. A few years ago, writer, pastoral uh, pastor's wife and social activist Kay Warren wrote a book 
It's a book that's been used in small group environments in her own church along with her husband, which after 40 years of ministry, they've just really recently announced they're going to pass on to a successor, a big church on the west of America. And uh, Kay wrote this book out of real life experience. She faced a cancer battle and since the writing of the book, the devastating loss of her son in his 20s. And yet faith and joy. Something going on with Mike? Are you okay? okay. It's not okay. Yeah. It has gone. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm nearly gone. Um, but faith and... Yeah. Just change it. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, so Kay Warren wrote the book. Her own trials medically and the loss of her son. But faith and joy has prevailed. <clears throat> the book was entitled with a strap line, Choose Joy because happiness isn't enough. Choose joy because happiness isn't in love. I was thinking I was going to get through this message without reference to uh, certain things that are taking place in the sporting world at the moment. But a lot of people happy last night. But you know our track record in semi-finals, so I won't go there. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with happiness. The point being that happiness is often external and circumstantial. There's got to be something more. Otherwise, our faith will be, whoa, I feel happy. I don't. I feel happy. I don't. I feel. It's got to be joy. Joy takes you through the poor medical prognosis. Joy takes you through the loss of a family member. Joy takes you through the uncertainty of job security. Joy takes you through a global pandemic. It really is deep. And here's what Kay Warren said. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined joy to praise God in all this. In my daughter daughter Miriam's house on the stairwell there's a little plaque it says today I choose joy today I choose joy it's the contradictory statement you may not feel joyful it may not be easy in this moment but God says come again to me take the example of the apostle Lean afresh into fellowship with others. Lean into confidence that he's at work in your life. Lean into purpose and Christ-centeredness and encouragement. And yes, even in adverse circumstances, in Christ, we can know a life that is all joy. Let's pray.